Yes, yeah, so our Bible reading, if you're following in the pew, Bibles will be on page 920, and it's Romans 12, verses 1 to 8. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment and in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of you has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to the, all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophecy in accordance with your faith. If, if it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously, for it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Well, friends, uh, good morning. It's great to be together. And uh, we welcome those on live stream as well who have joined us this morning. Uh, we are in the second talk on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Remember, two weeks ago, uh, we looked at uh, some of the gifts out of uh, 1 Corinthians 12. And so we're looking at it, Romans 12, 1 to 8. But you'll notice that as well as we're getting to the gifts, we'll get to the gifts at the end. But earlier on, there's something more important than getting to the gifts. And I want to pray that God will speak to us. God, uh, we ask that you would speak to us this morning from your word, that we would be inspired uh, to love you, to serve you, to be passionately committed to you and your purposes, and that we would then use our gifts and abilities for the glory of your name. Speak to us, encourage us, stir us up, uh, that we might be an encouragement to each other as well. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Friends, one of the things we often uh, encourage people to do at our church is to do a a Finding Your Spiritual Gifts questionnaire. We used to do a seminar, but as part of that seminar, there's this questionnaire, and I have multiple copies available. Maybe you'd like to do that sometime, and then maybe sit with me and one of the pastors to talk through your gifts and talents. When I do that questionnaire, I come up with four primary gifts, uh, which is probably a good thing how it turns out, because I am a pastor. If, I, if these gifts didn't turn up, I'd probably resign. Um, it comes up with leadership, teaching, evangelism, and pastor shepherd when I do that questionnaire. And so that's always an encouragement when I do it. When it starts saying something else, then I know it's time to go. Uh, because each of us have a mixture of gifts, and, uh, and by doing the questionnaire, it helps you to think through, okay, where are my strengths, where are my passions? Because it links not simply... Um, a, because you can't always know the spiritual gifts, right? Normally, you, you know them by working, out, working it out, serving Christ. 
And so I encourage people to be involved in ministry in that way, and that way you can seek to discern the gifts that God has given you. But I wonder what your mix of spiritual gifts are, and are you using them for God's glory? Maybe you used them in the past, not quite using them at the moment, different stage of life. Maybe when you're in your 20s, you're going to change the world for Jesus. In your 40s, you think, I'm struggling just to get up in the morning and look after some kids. And that's normal, right? Most of us have been through that situation. But it's what are the mix of gifts? And uh, as I said two weeks ago, we looked at things like prophecy, speaking in tongues, word of knowledge and wisdom, miracles, gifts of healings, and a few others. And you can watch that online if you haven't seen that. We also noted, though, that uh, the gifts were given for the following reasons. Important to keep this in context. They are given for the common good. They are not given to elevate you. They are given for the common good. They are distributed by the Spirit as He determines. The Holy Spirit hands out the gifts. They are given to produce maturity and stability in the church. We're told in Ephesians chapter 4, a variety of gifts there. So we could grow to maturity in Christ, uh, not uh, tossed back and forth by various winds of teaching that are contrary to the Word of God, but that we are strong, solid in God. And they are given that God might be praised. And I, and I figured that you always know that uh, you've used your gifts well, where people say, wow, what a great God you serve. What a great saviour Jesus is. Rather than what a great evangelist you are or what a great Bible study leader you are. Now, there's nothing wrong with encouraging one another when, uh, when we see the gifts used. But ultimately, even as people praise you and, uh, and honour what you've done, how you've served, I'm so thankful that you've cleaned the toilets this week. I just see that servant heart in you. Nothing wrong with saying that. That's a great thing, right? It's a word of encouragement. But ultimately, we see that because we see God in, at work in that person to have that heart of service. It's the Spirit of God, and ultimately, glory goes back to our God. But you see, Romans 12 begins not simply with the gifts, but begins with a call to live in light of God's saving work in your life. You understand that you were lost, you're a sinner, saved now by Christ, now into the family of God, and you live in light of that truth. And I want to say, unless you are captivated by Christ and all that he is and all that he's done for you, you won't serve him wholeheartedly. There's a point where you are so captured by the beauty of Christ, his goodness and his love, that you, do, you want to do nothing else but invest in the things that matter to Christ. He says in chapter 12, 1 to 2, firstly, be a living sacrifice, that we are to respond in passionate commitment in view of God's mercy. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. Now, in chapter 12, he says, in view of God's mercy, what's he talking about? He's talking about what he's described in chapters 1 through to 11 in the book of Romans. Remember that we were sinners in need of a Savior, that Christ died for us, that we are now justified by faith. We now have the Holy Spirit in Romans 8. All right? And so some of that teaching that he's talked about, in view of that mercy... In view of the fact that God has done all of this for you, what should you do with your life? Give yourself in passionate commitment to Christ. John Stott puts it this way, the gospel is God's mercy to inexcusable and undeserving sinners in giving his son to die for them, in justifying them freely by faith, in sending them his life-giving spirit, and in making them his children. 
It says, in view of that mercy, in view of the wonderful things that God has done for us, the right response is gratitude. Thank you, God. And the response, uh, what gratitude looks like in action, is that you serve him. Isaac Watts wrote this, Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. I love that. If Christ has done all of that for us, then we give ourselves completely to him. But we ought to be a sacrifice that lives, moves, and does things. 1B, I urge your brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to do what? You've looked back to the mercy of God to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. That is your true and proper worship. A, a Christian leader from the past, Abraham Cooper, said, There is not an inch of any sphere of life over which Jesus Christ does not say, mine. Let that sink in. There is not an inch of of any sphere of life over which Jesus Christ does not say, mine. So when I became a Christian at the age of 15, God says, all of you, great sinners, is mine. Your talent, your gifts, your cultural heritage, um, where you grew up, etc. All of you is mine. And we're called to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. It's a bit scary to think about these animal sacrifices. In the Old Testament, they would offer an animal sacrifice and put it to death, shed its blood to cover our sins. Now it says, give yourselves as a living sacrifice. It is living, it's not dead, but it's dead to the old life, isn't it? It's living, but it's dead to the old life. It lives and moves and does things. Three times in Romans chapter 6, verses 13, 16, and 19, Paul says, present our bodies, present your bodies or your members to God, and in every case, so that our arms, our legs, our tongues, our eyes, our ears would become instruments of righteousness. It says, your body, give it all to God. Use it for his glory. But as it often been said, the problem with living sacrifices is they always want to crawl off the altar. Makes sense, doesn't it? You don't always want to be there fully committed. Uh, Sometimes you want to take the easy road. Sometimes you want to take the comfortable road. God says, no, 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 go. Be committed to me. Someone has said, we sign up for military duty on Sunday. Here we are inspired and go AWOL, AWOL on Monday. Absent without leave. Secondly, it's a holy sacrifice. It's a sacrifice we come to God and say, God, are we going to renounce sin? We are set apart for you. It is a pleasing sacrifice. It is a sacrifice according to God's word and God's specifications. But did you notice that he said, offer your bodies, not simply your hearts? People say, well, I'll give my heart to Jesus. And I said, what are you doing as a result of that? Um, nothing? <laughs> what do you mean? What do you mean, what do I mean? If you, it's not enough. When you say you gave your heart to God, you mean you give all of yourself to God. Here he says, give your bodies. Again, John Stott puts it this way. The presentations of our bodies is our spiritual act of worship. No worship is pleasing to God, which is purely inward, abstract, and mystical. It must express itself in concrete acts of service performed by our bodies. Ephesians 2.10 says, we are created for good works. 
Now this morning, uh, if the musicians came and the sound fellow came, the live stream person came and the, uh, the PowerPoint person came and they said, well, this morning we will give you our hearts. But we won't use our voices. We won't control the live stream. We're just going to give you our hearts. How would this morning have been? And the person in the foyer welcoming you, if they said, no, I'm just going to give you your hearts this morning. I love Jesus. I'm so close to Jesus. Oh, I'm closest to Jesus I've ever been now. But if you don't do anything, <laughs> it doesn't have an impact on anyone, doesn't bring good to anyone. It's just this so-called mystical, abstract sense in which you are with God. It's happened a little bit more during COVID times, by the way. And you've probably noticed it the last couple of years. So many people so much closer to God sitting at home having a cup of coffee these days. Not even watching live stream, by the way. Thank you for those who are watching live stream. But just them and God not participating in the body of Christ, not investing in the lives of others, not allowing others to invest in their lives. We are the body of Christ. And then he says, it is a passionate commitment which is logical and reasonable. He said, this is your true and proper worship. Literally in the Greek says, this is your logical, the logiki worship. In other words, it makes sense that if Christ has done all these things in his mercy to save us, he then calls us to a complete commitment to him. That is the only logical thing to do. Why wouldn't you do that? Why wouldn't you want to come and worship with God's people? Why wouldn't you want to read the Word? Why wouldn't you want to contribute to the lives of others if God has touched you? It's logical. It's natural. It's normal. It's right, he says. You're one life. Don't waste it. But in order to live like that, you need to get renewed by God as well. That's why he says to them, don't conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. That's the first thing he says to us. Don't conform to the pattern of this world. And one, one, one commentator, the J.B. Phillips translation, says, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold, but let God remold your minds from within. Okay? And every day I am being squeezed to think differently to what the Bible tells me. What about you? Every day there's another philosophy, there's another idea. Change God's word. He says, don't let that happen. Don't let the world change your understanding of God's word. But develop a renewed mind. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Don't be squeezed into it, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How does the transformation happen? How do you start to think like God and behave like he wants you to? It is the spirit of God that we've been talking about, and it is the Word of God. He doesn't mention it here, but we know from other scriptures it is the Spirit of God and the Word of God. In other words, that's why we preach the Word on a Sunday morning. That's why we urge you to go into a Bible study midweek. That's why we ask you to read the Bible by yourself during the week or watch other live streams or listen to podcasts about the Word. Someone asked once, what would you run for? What would you run for? Would you run to buy a ticket for the best seat for your favorite bands. Now, we don't have to run these days. We just go on the computer, right? You just go, quick, quick. Have you lined up to get tickets for something? You're ready to go, 12.01. 
And uh, we do that to buy tickets to Katoomba Convention for our young people, the kick convention, because we want to get in the right weekend and get the accommodation. So you've got Lachlan, Matt and myself all sitting on our computers, right, ready. It's going to go live at nine. We, you, you keep ringing for us. Uh, you keep pressing the button, keep pressing five seconds to four seconds to, hoping that one of us gets through. When we get through, we cheer. And there's a celebration right at play. We got the tickets. Who's in? And I've never got through. It's never me. It's always one of the other two, but it doesn't matter. We're a team, right? And sometimes in the old days, you know, you line up for ages. Or others would, uh, Boxing Day sales, they're outside lining up DJs. There they go, ready, lining up for hours. It's not even the Queen's funeral, right? It's just for some jackets. And you line up for hours to get that ticket. What would you run for? If you're in a poverty-stricken country and food turns up, you run for that, wouldn't you? Get some rice, some maize, something for your family. You run for that. Now, I was talking to a Bible Society representative uh, who was telling me about the church in Ethiopia. This was a few years ago. He said, the, the church in Ethiopia is growing at a phenomenal rate, but we don't have many Bibles. He said, you should see what happens when the truck with Bibles turns up. People are running to get the Word of God into their hands. You should see them. They're coming from everywhere. They've walked for hours to be in a place where they can take hold of the Word of God that's going to transform their lives. And yet I get up in the morning, have my coffee, try and remember to take out my phone with my Bible app, and I quickly read it, and I've done that, ticked that off for the morning. Anyone like me sometimes? Because <laughs> I've got Bibles everywhere, and iPads everywhere, and apps everywhere. They were hungry to get the Word of God, that they would be transformed in the renewing of their minds. Friends, there is a lot of garbage going into your mind every day. Through your phones, through your workplaces, through the media. You need to allow the Word of God to come in to transform your mind. Then you'll test and truly value God's will. One writer said, A renewed mind thinks clearly, assesses truly, values accurately, and approves strongly and treasures passionately what is good, acceptable, and perfect. When you say no to the world's thinking, when you're transformed in your mind to, to, become, uh, to think more like Jesus, then you can tell and assess God's will and the right response to a different situation. You know, I used to be a mathematics teacher at Marinville High School, and we teach students all week. And then Friday afternoon, uh, I'd say to the staff, they'd always say to me, what are you doing this afternoon? I said, what do I do every Friday night? I go home, I finalise the Bible study preparation, and at about six o'clock, I start driving all around our region to pick up kids to drag them off to youth group. Uh, by 7.30 start, and we'd finish at 10.00. And then we'll drive them all back to their homes because we're in a place in the inner west where parents, these weren't Christian kids, they're all non-Christian kids, effectively. And if we didn't pick them up, they wouldn't be at youth group. You know, I like it here. Parents just drop them off, pick them up and take them home. <laughs> no, no, we were driving, I mean, I was going from Marigold to Dulwichill to Croydon to Burwood, Leichhardt sometimes. We have four leads, we're driving everywhere and we, we finally get back at 11.30, 12 o'clock at night. I said, that's what I'm doing tonight. What are you guys up to? <laughs> we're going to dinner. 
they thought I was nuts. Uh, probably every youth leader is nuts, I reckon. <laughs> the hours and the energy you put into serving the kids is just phenomenal. But I had to say to them, you know, I just love that because we are able to share Christ with kids. And then the school holidays, what are you doing? Oh, so, well, I'm going to the ISF, running an ISF leadership conference. Right, you just had kids all, and you're spending a whole week. I said, yeah, we've been planning and training. We're going to train student leaders in Christian groups. Next holidays comes up. What are you doing, Ange? Kind of camp out, study camp, HSC study camp. What we do is we help them study for their maths exams on their HSC. We also do Bible studies and we have import and we help share Christ with them. And you get to Christmas and say, where are you on Christmas? Oh, I can't wait, I'm going on a holiday. So where are you going? They call it beach mission, I said. So what do you mean? It's not a holiday, my wife told me. <laughs> I said, but I grew up in Maribel. We, I never went anywhere. I went to the local park and played cricket. And I go to a beach for 10 days in a tent with 80 other people. And we go out every day telling people about Jesus and we run youth groups and kids clubs and bush dances. I said, man, this is the best holiday I've ever been on. Yes, some of us are nuts. And this week, uh, yesterday, uh, 12 teenagers, 9 or 10 leaders have all gone out to Wellington, New South Wales. And they've been training and they've been thinking, what's really important in life? We we want to give ourselves to teach young kids in Wellington about Jesus. So they've gone through training, they've had whole days and afternoons and evenings of training. And we've hired two uh, buses from the local public school and they loaded up the kids yesterday. They've got their... uh, Uh, All their gear, they're going to set up as we had for our holiday club in that hall. They're at church this morning at Wellington Baptist, sharing testimonies, reading the Bible. And tomorrow they'll spend all day setting up. And then they'll run a holiday club Tuesday to Friday. Then they'll do a parent night Friday night. Then they'll crash. (laughs) I don't have teenagers crash. And they'll pack it up, go to church on Sunday, and drive home, get here next Sunday night. I was saying, in time to watch the grand final if any of them care. But you test and truly value God's will. And God's will is his glory, his gospel would go out and people invest in themselves in that way. Use your gifts. When you think rightly and you have God's heart and God's mind, it's also important to remember this, to have a sober estimate of yourselves For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has distributed to each of you. Paul knows that his gifts are an act of God's grace. God gives them to him. He needs to be humble, not arrogant. You have a sober estimate. Uh, Be aware. Uh, You know, don't be full of yourself. Sometimes you have certain gifts and abilities and you can be so full of yourself that you're doing no one any good. Be arrogant and full of pride. That, uh, I must say, is bringing a lot of leaders down around the world. It leads to a lot of what I've heard recent bullying, where ministers bully others under them, congregations, or they bully other associate staff because they think they're better than someone else. They don't realize that their gift is of grace. God gives them to you. Use them to build others up. And remember also that it's one body, many functions. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Friends, I think it's important for us that we are the church, we are the body of Christ, 
And listen to that, one body with many members, we're the members. We don't all have the same function, no. We form one body in Christ, each member belongs to all the others. There is unity, we are one body. There is diversity, we don't all have the same functions. There is mutuality, each member belongs to all the others. You know how connected we are? Let me give you this quote to show you how connected we are. Kent Hughes writes, when I was in college, I broke my leg and the rest of my body felt so bad that it stayed up all night to keep my leg company. You know, I could say, when my back goes out, <laughs> it's the same thing. All of your body, your head, your, uh, your hands, uh, everything's Im impacted. And friends, that's important because we are the body of Christ. When one person is suffering, we all suffer. When it's rejoicing, we all rejoice. When one serves, then the other part of the body is blessed. When we withhold our gifts and our talents, then we are withholding blessing to those members of the body of Christ. And finally, what are these spiritual gifts he mentions here? We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. God gives us the gifts. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Just quickly, what are these gifts? To prophesy, as we saw a couple of weeks ago, is to receive a word from God. It's normally from the word of God to communicate for the encouragement of the congregation. If it is serving, I mean, that can mean a number of things. Uh, you see an unmet need in God's work and you use whatever gifts and talents you have to help uh, alleviate that need. You might be in a connect team or a food hampers or cleaning team or morning teas or music team. It could be any number of things, a hospital visitation. You serve others. It could be teaching. Our pastors are teachers, our home group leaders are teachers, our missionaries are teachers, our youth leaders are teachers, our kids' church leaders are teachers at a different level. We need to be teaching the truth. Encouragement, exhortation. I think this is more the someone has the word of comfort and consolation. You come alongside people, you encourage them, you pray for them, you counsel them in the word of God. They feel helped and healed. Some of you uh, have that gift. You come aside and people will ring you and say, can, can we talk? Some have the gift of giving. Now, keep in mind, we're all called to give to God's work. But some, some have this special gift. Like we're all called to serve, some have a special gift to serve. Some have this gift where to give to God generously and cheerfully, above and beyond normal tithes and offerings. Some have that gift, so thank you for those who have that gift and give. Leadership. Leadership gift is to, to help lead people, to, to set goals and vision and communicate goals and help people come with you. You always know if you've got a leadership gift. Because when you cast vision and ideas, people come with you. If, you, if someone, I've had people say to me, oh, I believe I'm a leader. I said, who's following? That's always one of the tests. Is anyone following? Is anyone coming alongside of what you believe you're leading? It's always a sign. Mercy, the gift to feel empathy, genuine empathy and compassion for individuals who suffer distressing physical, mental or emotional problems. Translate that compassion into cheerfully doing Good deeds, which reflect the character of Christ, alleviating suffering, feed the hungry, visit in hospital, 
arrange people to clean someone's house or backyard, whatever the need is. You, you have a mercy gift, and when you see it, it really moves you. Pastor, Ephesians 4, this comes in Ephesians 4, a gift to care for and shepherd a group of believers. Evangelist, Ephesians 4, where, and well, I wonder how many are evangelists in, in this building. Um, most of you will say, oh, I witness a little bit, I'm not sure I'm an evangelist. It always seems to be a smaller number of evangelists within each congregation. Uh, we all do the work of evangelism, but some are evangelists. Right? So we can all care for others, but some have that gift. When they say preach the gospel, people just open up and receive the gospel. So evangelists are proclaimers, but often more people are, are drawn to Christ through their ministry. And then I'll throw this one in, administration, just to give your heart some encouragement. You don't normally think of administration as a spiritual gift, right? Mate, prophecy, healings, miracles, administration. You think, was that a mistake that the writers, did Paul get confused? No, 1 Corinthians 12, 28, administration is a spiritual gift. Administer church goals, budgets, church policies, the role of secretary, treasurer. We need good administrators. If we don't have good administrators, we go down, right, as a church. Special roles for accountants, uh, all types of people in the church. Let me conclude. The point of the gifts is that we use them for the building up of God's church and for the glory of God. You won't use them until you're captivated by Christ, his love and his goodness. Unless your mind has been transformed to think like Jesus. Unless you're saying no to the world's philosophies and teachings. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. Think through your gifts. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. And if it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. God bless you as you do that.